Welcome to another episode of New Savages Spirituality. I'm Simon. I'm John. Just two brothers on a journey. And tonight we're joined by a very, 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 very good friend, Jim Johnson Hills. How are you, brother? Yo, yo. Yeah, good to see you guys. Yeah, doing well. Glad to Excellent. be here. Thanks so much for the invite. It feels like an honor and a privilege being listening to you guys, well, since since number one. So, oh, yeah, thanks, man. love what you're doing, uh, and uh, thank it's just you, great brother. to be a part of it. So, thank wow. you. Well, we appreciate you being here, Jim. Um, so, Jim is um, one of the original members of uh, the group that Simon runs, the Dharma Punks, um, down in, in Lyme Regis. And uh, he was also at our very first retreat. So, he's kind of been with us on this journey right from the very get-go, really. So it's just really lovely to have you with us, man. Really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, yeah, no problem at all, man. It's just great to have the invite. It's been about a year, I think. A year yeah. into Dharma Punks. Yeah, yeah it's cr- crazy how the time goes. It, yeah, yeah, definitely, because the um, the first retreat was May. So yeah. that's not far yeah. away, was it? And, um, no. Yeah, it, it's been beautiful to have you. And I think, <clears throat> from my point of view, the the most special thing about the group is that it's brought together individuals like yourself that are you're on your own journey, but we're, we're kind of, we're running together. We're learning from one another. We're listening to one another. We're, we're crying together. We're laughing together, all these things. And, um, yeah, to have you come along is amazing, Jim. So yeah, having you here is brilliant too. Thank you. Yeah. It feels very warm, very, very sort of comfortable. Yeah, cool, man. No, likewise, keeping toasty as well because it's hammering rain outside and just uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This feels snug. This feels good. So yeah, yeah. Right. good, so good, I, good. I want to kick it off, Jim, if we may. If you could just give us a little bit of uh, for the listeners, a little bit of a uh, like, who are you and what, 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 where are you coming from, really, man? Yeah, sure, man. Um, so I'm Jim. I'm gonna be forty this year. I live down in Charmouth uh, with wife and two girls, age seven and four. I'm a gardener slash co-tutor for a local secondary school. Uh, we moved to Charmouth about a year and a half ago. And before that, we were called down to Dorset for a couple of years to live in a religious community uh, called Pilsden. Where we worked alongside vulnerable people, people who've had like life crises, living on a small holding, uh, running the place, and uh, yeah, keeping it together. For that, self-employed gardener in Bristol, spent two years in New Zealand in my early twenties. Just been That's kind of all stuff. over, really. So yeah, keeping <laughs> it fresh, just um, you know, kind of going where feels right, and right now feels like a kind of time of settling and roots and uh security for the girls and um yeah just loving dorset life man right next to the coast path running sea swimming as much as possible and of course meeting you guys in the dharma punks so yeah i think that's me in a sort of roundabout nutshell so yeah lovely brilliant Thank you, brother. I, I'm interested. I <clears throat> I think I kind of know the answer because we've been um, sharing time for long enough now. But for the listeners, can you explain, obviously, going from um, quite a, 
I presume in an, an organized religion type of scenario in, in the, the kind of place that you're at, how you navigate that to Dharma punks, which is quite a different um, kind a of emphasis, I suppose, on spirituality. Yeah. Mm. So what, what was your journey from there to, to with us? Yeah, man. Uh, that's a really interesting question. It's been sort of quite uh, an arc, I guess, and everything's kind of bled quite nicely uh, into each other in the kind of different phases. And it has been a journey and quite a fluid one, I think, um, leading to where we are now. So, yeah, I, I've been part of a few different denominations, I guess. I kind of had an experience in New Zealand that... Um, called me to be curious about things which I learned about when I was small mm. and um, kind of diving into them a bit more. So I explored stuff like non-denominational free church where people have their hands in the air and, you know, waving flags and stuff down to more kind of intimate places, a bit more stoical. Uh, ended up in a religious community which had a chapel on site and that could really be whatever you wanted it to be if you were leading services there. So we had like the big old blue hymn book. It could be as CV as you wanted to and as formal. But I played drums in there, like led things and just um, like when the time felt right. And the person who was leading it when I was there was big into uh, contemplation and Christian mystic forms of prayer, which I found to be massively helpful and quite new to me at that time. So spending like lots of time in silence. Um, and that I think really that, having a practice in that and really discovering this whole new level, uh, which took into account um awareness and self and emptying of self and ego and observing your thoughts and then we started like meditating at dharma punks was like oh yeah this is the same thing this is we're <laughs> all like finding this this uh, this amazing level which i hadn't, hadn't heard about until you know this um this cv warden just started teaching us about contemplation and prayer so yeah that was quite a long-winded answer you know quite a bit of history good, there man. but yeah, <laughs> good, I think the crossover yeah. Is massive um you know so the journey is good and it's exciting and uh yeah what we're doing like right now as well i mean like last week we were meditating for what 30 minutes yeah it was pretty much that yeah and that was a good one as well, man. That was like heart meditation. That was the day that it all kicked off in Ukraine mm. and doing heart meditations, sending out meta or like hearts. How do you describe meta? Uh, like define meta. Uh, it's unconditional friendliness, unconditional love, unconditional kindness, really. So we yeah. send it out even yeah. to people whom we would see as enemies. It's, um, yeah, it's that open, open-hearted, like heart-led practice, really. Yeah, yeah, man. I like I've heard about praying for your enemies for like years before, but it was only then did I really get it. And he was like saying these words about Putin and stuff like this. You know, probably pre prevalent about what we're going to talk about tonight and bullying and stuff. But yeah, mm. that really kind of like um, felt 
felt major just you know sending him out meta to this guy who's just tearing stuff up and yeah yeah but just for the person i guess you know in there the boy that he is that we all are so yeah, yeah that was that was uh, quite revelatory man yeah so, oh, good thank yeah. you yeah i think that is that it's the most difficult thing and i mean i'm certainly not suggesting i find it easy but to really try and have that open-handed love so that you you do have this understanding that whatever anyone does to you to try and um, take away the action from the actor and to really think of them in terms of that they're in pain you know no one from a place of happiness and love causes suffering to someone else it just you wouldn't you know if if you're happiness then why would Mm -hmm. you want to hurt someone so yeah you know that hot that whole adage that it's used across the internet of hurt people hurt people it's actually true and in the same way john always you say don't you yeah healed people heal people as well yeah. this is but it, it yeah. really is when people are coming from a place of pain and when i'm coming from a place of pain i lash out whether that be you know i, I don't mean physically lash out but you do don't you? you you kind of verbally hurt the people that you love the most because you don't feel okay and it's your kind of defense mechanism it's it's tricky stuff i mean like truthfully meta is it's a challenge for all of us really to Mm. to look at like somebody i mean if we use the the conflict in ukraine at the moment we can look at you know putin and say wow what an asshole you know like he's starting a war because for whatever reason um but if you if you if, if like jim says if we look at it at the element that this is a man who clearly has some issues um, that he's never really addressed and now manifests in this massive acts of aggression. It's really quite sad. Mm. You know? mm. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's tough to look at, but realistically, I, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again now. Um, the holistic psychologist, Nicole LaPera, says, um, you know, to see somebody's traumas is a love language. Mm. You know, I use that now. Yeah, and it is. It. I think the the thing is with that, and you know, I can see it in my everyday life. The hardest bit is that egoically, like we always want to kind of justify to ourselves in any situation of, like you know, someone's gone through that, but why? Why did that happen? Mm. Why is this? Why is that? Whatever, and. And so we put our own wants to to understand or to rationalize or to question or whatever, rather than just being the space for the person and saying, I'm sorry that, you know, you've had that trauma and what do yeah. you need from me? You know, we want to fix it. We want to shout and scream about it. We want to have our own opinion on it. And certainly for me, really that hardest thing is to just be what the other person needs you to be for that. And sometimes yeah. that is to literally just to near, just to listen and not Absolutely. even to give an opinion or, advice or anything this yeah it's certainly a lesson for me yeah. do you know what that just i don't know about the, you guys but i find it really difficult just to be in air at times mm. because i'm so like hardwired that i think i've got to fix everything for everybody yeah yes yeah. so i mean yeah. oh big time man i'm yeah. just like having that with uh small kids yeah and you mm. want to do everything you possibly can you know, but yeah, sometimes it is literally just sitting and listening. And when you have a four-year-old who's trying to express themselves, 
and finding the words. Yeah. You know, you just have to sit there and be patient with it and let it all kind of just happen, you know. Yeah. And it does. It just unfurls. It just has to be heard. So. And there's, there is a beauty in that, isn't there? Like seeing them fathom it out and work it out and find their own way. is It's kind of a, an amazing thing to see. Mm. So, Jim, in terms of parents, and obviously we've got <clears throat> kids that are around the same age and we've socialised together with your good lady and the kids and I've seen that your your interactions with the girls and they're amazing. Uh, do you, is it, I, I kind of know the answer to this already, but it, it's something that you're actively looking into in terms of kind of conscious mindfulness parenting and it's something you discuss together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's... Um... I think, I mean, kind of practically for time initially, just kind of like on a surface level, I've taken a job which doesn't take up evenings and weekends. That's really important. I love like more time with them for sure. Mm. Um, just, you know, you hear along having kids early on when you're so tired and you meet people who are older and they're like, oh enjoy it time flies and you're just like ankle deep in nappies and just want to watch the world burn it's just like can't wait for this to be over only now am i like really starting to get it you know they're growing at a crazy speed and it's like okay Mm. wow strip back everything that's not important this this is it this is the most important thing um and yeah just that's just on kind of on a practical level and just conscious parenting, I guess like being aware about what their interests are, what they're interacting with, what piques their curiosities, what makes them afraid. We have times uh, once in a while where we have like family sharing, which sounds super corny, but it's amazing. You know, it's similar Mm, to what we do in like the men's group where we just pass around whatever, whatever fluffy toy is to hand and just like, how are you? And, you know, we just sit back for a few minutes and just say how we are, you know, I love that. um, it's hard, Mm. I think for the smallest one, because she's still learning to express herself. And so she might get shy and be like, I've got nothing to say. You're making me feel awkward. Let's move on. I want to smash some shit up. And it's like, okay, (laughs) do that. Great. Express yourself. Um, so, yeah i i guess that's um sort of all part of it and just like trying to take a real keen interest in in like what's happening in their lives you know um and taking it seriously too um i think one thing that's all like tie into um sort of subject for tonight is like really taking things seriously um if they're sort of going through problems or whatever it is it is the most important thing to them at that moment. Mm. And if someone were to say to you, don't worry about it, it's all going to be okay or whatever, or just kind of like dismiss your problems, be like, no, this is really difficult. And just because you've been through it as a kid and they're smaller and it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, it really is. So, Mm. um, yeah, just trying to tune into that, I guess. Do you know what, Um, Jim? That's Which like, can be tough. That's the most accurate thing I've heard anybody say in regards to their children and their emotions. 
is to like really like allow them to have it and not yeah. not belittle their emotions. Yeah, sure. not yeah. belittle it and say, you know, oh, you, it, you'll get through it. That's that's not what they need to hear at that point. You know, yeah, that's true. It's actually to me about as parents unlearning a lot of maybe the conditioned behaviors that we saw in our upbringing and our own parents yeah 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 without like kind of castigating yeah yeah and the more that we're doing the things like we're doing in the circle we're learning mindfulness that the the greater understanding we have of our own brains and the, the ability to kind of just be present and then that allows us to engage with our children in that respect and to like you said jim to to honor their emotions and not belittle. and i look back and i'm i'm sad to say but like with my first two kids that are now 16 and 15 i did belittle their emotions like quite regularly on a very very diluted scale so you know if one of the kids came down at eight o'clock at night and said i'm hungry my initial response would be that it was just a, a, a delaying tactic yeah so I'd be like no you're not mm-hmm. or yep. I, I, i'm scared no you're not you're not scared I'm scared of spiders. That's ridiculous. Why? And just not allowing them to feel those things and then getting them to actually question themselves because it's like, well, am I hungry? Yeah. And whether they are or not, just to actually allow them to be, okay, you know, you can have something, but you need to do your teeth again. And yeah, it's been huge learning. And I'm lucky yeah. now to, to have a young child to kind of, to do these things with. And luckily I can also, um, with my older children, own some of my shit that, yeah, I'm sorry if I did, you know, belittle your feelings and wasn't there in the way and, and didn't hold space like I could have. Yeah. I mean, for me, my, my kids are all grown up for the most part. My youngest, he's going to be 12 this year, you know, but the scary thing is my eldest will is almost 30, mm. you know, um, but the conversations I have with them now are dramatically different to the way they were when they was they were younger. And there's not a day goes by where I, I don't wish I could do things differently. Unfortunately, that it's already happened, hasn't it? So it's now a case of, of holding myself accountable and honoring their emotions now when they need to address something from the past. Mm. Um, but mm. I, I, I kind of find it fascinating how much oh, things have changed in, in a relatively short space of time in regards to the way, you know, children are being parented if, mm. if you go back to to like you know i'm i'm 48 this year um and my my parents you know were uh, boomers you know they're born just after the war during the war um and their way of raising children is dramatically different to the way that we do it yeah you know and that's a really like in hindsight it's a pretty small window for it to change as much as it has uh, the strange thing as well, I think, is that um, like our parenting is probably so much better, but I think for young people now, it's so much harder. And I think that kind of leads yeah. us to, to what we're thinking about. It's like, what is it like now for young children? What is it like in terms of bullying? And that bullying, in essence, yeah. never has to end because of social media, because of the, the kind of the phone culture that kids are susceptible at all times to external yeah. stimuli. And that's a pretty scary place to be, I think. So mm. really, us stepping up as parents is imperative in terms of like supporting our children through these things. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I'd like to just draw attention. P- 
part of the reason we're having this conversation tonight is because of um, something I read on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and I shared it with all you guys. And it was about a little boy called uh, Drake Andrew Hardman, who um, <clears throat> was a beautiful little boy in the United States who at 11 years old took his own life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, that in itself just crushes me. Because yeah. he's the same age as my son. And, um, you, you know, when you read something like that and you can connect it to one of your own children or somebody you love and care about, it also all of a sudden becomes extremely real. Um, but his father wrote the most beautiful post on Instagram and it literally left me in tears. Mm. Um, and I think I sent it to you, Simon, almost straight yeah, away. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I'll be honest, it crushed me. And it, I, I like... I think I've mentioned it before, but my son is home educated. Um, uh, he, he went to school in New Zealand uh, when we lived there and he went to school in Australia when we lived there. When we returned to the UK and we put him in the school system here, um, both my partner and I decided after about a three-week window that it wasn't the environment we wanted him to be educated in. Um, he just became a different little boy overnight. And this was like three years ago. So he was, you know, like uh, eight, nine years old. Mm. Um, and I just, I couldn't, like my, um, my belief structure had changed so dramatically in regards to the education system in this country. I just couldn't allow him to stay within the system. Sure. Uh, and so it, it, it led me, to, like, my wife, to, to pull him out, and we've home educated him ever since. And we, my, my wife is very, very um, resourceful woman, and she's built a wonderful group of friends in the area where we live who all home educate their children. Um, so subsequently, during the lockdown, it wasn't a big deal to all of us because that's how we do it normally. Um, mm. you know, but I, I'd really like to, to, like, Simon, you were a teacher at one point, obviously, Jim, yep. you've you've got young children who are in the school system, um, or, or and you work within it one yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's your guys' opinion? I suppose really on the current situation with the schools. From from my outside perspective, it feels like the school wants the child, all the children, to bend one way, rather than the school bending to the child's needs. Mm. Jump yeah. in, Jim. Um, I feel like I should be a bit sort of tentative by what I say. I think the, the yeah. school that my kids like are in the primary is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's village school. There's like 60-something kids in there. She's one of eight. The attention is amazing. The teachers are great. I think what is um and obviously i don't know all the ins and outs but just like kind of seeing the the basic outside pressures from like the Depe- department of education yeah and the kind of targets these teachers have to hit start really early there's yeah. something called accelerated reader which is supposed to be beneficial for kids um to kind of up their reading level and get engaged with reading all up for that is really great, but some of these kids are getting really stressed 
about taking the tests on the computers because it's all about memory, like recall or language mm. and stuff. And if you pass these tests, then you get like a new number and then you can read a new reading level and all this kind of stuff. I think it was the same when we were growing up in the 80s or whatever, you know. Yeah. Was, um, there was, was probably some sort of system where we could just like track our progress. But like for me personally, my like kid is, and I've seen other kids in secondary getting really stressed out about this. Yeah. Just taking the fun out of what should be like a joy of escapism and learning and readings, like such a, you know, it can be a beautiful thing. And from very early on, it's been turned into a chore. When you get kids like just flipping to the end of the chapter to see how many pages are left, um, that's not great. I mean, that's like that's quite minor, I think, on the level of stuff that yeah. we're talking about. That's just an example. Um, but I think the overarching picture is, at its best, the teacher and um, all the people involved in the school are for the kids. I think there's great resources for. Uh, one-to-one and problem solving and contact with the parents and anything that's going on at home and they like what can they do at school I see that and that's great yeah at the other end the kids are a bit of data mm. who are just kind of going through the system and there are boxes and there are decimal points and there's an end game and um yeah that kind of stuff doesn't sit right with me yeah. But with the sort of system and the numbers, I don't know how else they could do it, um, to be honest. So bit of bit of devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm That's very I mean. kind of on the fence. There's both good and bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. your 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 kids' school sounds idyllic, to be quite honest. Like mm. like if I was to have my, my my children when they were young in a school, that's the ideal school that I'd want them in. Yeah, you know, it's great. a little village school is key. Um, I, I often wonder about how safe kids are at secondary levels, not just here in the UK either. I mean, globally, um, you know, obviously this little boy that, that took his life was in the United States. Right. Um, mm. So yeah. um, it's a different system altogether. But, there, you know, you, years ago I worked with a charity called Off the Record in, um, in Portsmouth. Um, and it was a kids' charity for the ages of 11 to 25. Um, and the, the volume of kids that would go to, there was a huge backlog of waiting list for kids to see therapists through this charity. Um, mm. And I often thought to myself, these are kids, you know, predominantly at secondary school. Like, how safe do they feel? You know, do they, do they have, is there a system in place within the schools that will give them some sort of emotional support? Uh, it's, it's such a big question. I feel like we could probably do one or two podcasts on this, and it's yeah, something I don't that's doubt it. Yeah. really, really close to my heart, as you know, and, and yeah. wanting to do work within schools. But so my history is that I was a school teacher from two thousand and one to two thousand and fourteen, and I progressed to senior leadership. Um, so I was in management. I was really of the system very much so, and got hugely disillusioned and. Luckily, unlike Jim, I'm not in the system now, so I can say what the hell I want. And um, I suppose like um, ex-drinkers or ex-smokers were always the worst to, 
to put down the thing that we used to do. But I would say, um, like like Jim said, actually, there are, you know, there's hugely passionate teachers. There, there's people that will do um, just above and beyond. Like I've known of teachers that where there's a, a, a child who can't really get their clothes washed very easily, taking their clothes home at the weekend and washing them, you know, beautiful elements like that of the, the, the teaching system and then the the opposite end of the spectrum again as Jim alluded to which is that it's a, a business where facts and figures are, are what not even facts sorry figures are, are the most important thing of the, what level you at the level you should achieve and then schools are penalized if children don't achieve those results and um and again if you don't even have your pan your pupil allocation number that schools lose money so it's getting kids into the schools are all um it's like comp- competition and there was even a school where i um used to teach the, a local school to us that where they they kind of almost bribed parents by saying that they'd pay for their uniform it's some crazy Gosh. stuff mm. but to me the, the biggest thing is that um the system fails so many people mm. because it only tests such a a small amount of intelligence and by primary school age children know their pecking order they would be able to tell you if they're the thick ones or perceived thick ones if they're the intelligent ones and the kind of the archaic um almost kind of industrial revolutionary type um system that we have to rebel to teaching everyone the same thing and teaching at age rather than stage so it's not about where someone is emotionally it's about that you are this age so you need to be at school and you need to be learning this thing so that's one element of it. And I would strip away so much in terms of are kids safe? Mm-hmm. Yes, relatively speaking. And yes, there are within most schools a kind of pastoral system where there'll be counsellors and people in place. But the problem is it's sticky plaster on like a gaping wound, a, yeah. a bleeding wound, because we should, in my opinion, be looking at children's interactions at pornography on children's abilities to deal with their emotions to take away the pressure of that you've got to do well in your sats to actually being more mindful having more of an understanding of why do I feel like this how can I move through this so I would radically radically change the system and it's putting those things in place getting men and women or boys and girls to learn how to interact together without competition without you know, toxic masculinity, um, you know, misogyny and all these overt sexism that's out there, whether, you know, for either gender, you know, kind of this toxic feminism, this toxic masculinity, they're both prevalent and to actually unify the the sexes. And this comes from a a huge, in my opinion, educational overhaul. I know these are huge things that I'm saying to actually really look at honouring children and getting them to to feel safe in themselves because for a system to feel safe we have to feel safe and everything within our system really is so much about comparison about not feeling enough it's that feeling of lack and children learn that very very quickly and social media just perpetuates it the school system perpetuates it because you are at this level but you should be at this level you Mm -hmm. need to achieve you need to surpass and if you hit your level then they're going to say we'll set you a new level we'll set you a new target so Everything about this is a is kind of getting your nervous system to be in a state of shock, in a state of agitation, because you're never told at school you're enough. You are no. just okay. What you're doing, how you are is enough. So yeah, I've gone on a little bit, but no, shit, no, I like so it. much I'd change and it's huge. 
and to stop yeah. bullying and to keep get kids safe it's about addressing all of those elements it's about you know as we've said before you know when we said about putin and stuff with the old hurt people hurt people kids are bullying because they don't feel okay in themselves because yeah. they've got such a state of lack and that they feel that the only way that they can be okay is through external validation and yeah. whether that be buying stuff taking drugs pornography whatever or putting someone else down to try and make yourself feel more validated it's it's a huge systemic issue i believe yeah. i mean you have to wonder how many of these kids who who if they're bullying other kids what their home life is like as well well yeah Do you know what i mean I, I don't put it all down to the school system ever there's there's as much an impact in what's going on within their home as there is you know at school um it, <clears throat> well yeah but in the same way what we're describing for the kids to feel the adults are feeling Absolutely, because yeah we're in a capitalist state where everything is that you'll be better off when you'd be better yeah. off if you get that job if you get that car yeah. if you get the bigger house if you get the girl all of these things nothing in our system ever ever just teaches us to be okay as we are yeah. because the system doesn't work with that the system it keeps us in a state of lack so we buy more so we, you know, I, 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 in that state. I read recently that um, part of the reason we do a 40-hour week in this country is to help the economy grow. So not because we're working more, but rather we're working so much that we're too tired to do anything. So to reward ourselves, we buy things. Mm. You know, how often do you say to yourself, oh, I'm going to get a takeout tonight as a little treat, you know? Whereas you've got all that food at home. You could make a burger at home if that's what you wanted. But because you're so tired from all this time at work, um, you just feel like it's a treat. Like you think about it, takeaways are always busiest on a Friday, mm. you know. Um, and it's the same with, with you know, anything else. Like it, it, if, we, if we're constantly working and exhausted and we can't go out to buy, we'll jump online and we'll treat ourselves to a new pair of shoes or a new uh t-shirt or whatever it might be you know um and it was when i read that it was like wow that actually makes an awful lot of sense yeah definitely yeah. so jim in terms of your parenting and and bullying obviously you, you see it as a, a tutor i presume in the secondary school but how are you finding and navigating it with your little ones yeah well i kind of started with asking them um like have you had any experiences and what would you do with bullies and stuff like that? Luckily for these ones, I think because the school that, you know, my seven going on eight year old is in is so tight knit. Um, like that sort of stuff isn't really happening. Uh, I mean, I kind of like hear rumblings a little bit of like boys and stuff and, um, you know, the boys with older brothers, just kind of like learning things and bringing a kind of a kismo to the playground at year eight and throwing it about and stuff, um, which is just like learned mm -hmm. behavior. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's the, the kind of the name calling and the friendship groups that splinter and reattach and new people and today you're my best friend and stuff like this in a group of like seven girls <laughs> it's just like it's an ongoing dramas um 
but yeah, as I said earlier, ton of you know to really kind of like listen and take that kind of stuff seriously. Um, but it it does change a lot, you know. Um, so there's nothing like really major, but I am kind of primed. If we do decide that the basically the kind of progression from this school to where I work, and there's like over a thousand kids, there'll probably be more when she goes there because they're like doing new school buildings and stuff like this, maybe expanding, then things might be very different. You know, I feel I'm sort of set up in a good place being a year seven tutor, having known some of the kids coming from this small school. Because if you go from like a school of 60 to 1,100 and suddenly you're surrounded by like giants who don't really know what's going on, and kind of, you know, got their own stuff going on and it's all just a bit bit nuts. Um, yeah. Which I think navigating that is going to be the biggie. So my mind does go there quite a lot. Um, mm. You know, both in sort of uh, preparedness in all, in all the right ways and also a bit of fear and agitation, I guess. But just exploring whether it's going to be the right thing. Like, you know come that time so yeah i'm still kind of i'm it feels like at the moment i'm kind of grounding doing a lot of reading and preparing for teenage years basically (laughs) you know because you just you just hear a lot of stories and it's just like yeah um i just need a a lot of help i think that's why i'm kind of quite glad to chat to you guys this evening because you guys have got (laughs) kids of all ages and experiences so um yeah i'm kind of coming in i guess well read but somewhat naively i could have just said that instead of watching one oh no no (laughs) everything you say is relevant it's a funny one for me because like i said i was in my late 20s when i had um kai he's my he's nearly 17 he'll be 17 in may and I don't even know who he's got to that age. And like I, I split with Kai and Tabby's mum when Kai was 11. And it, it's almost like a blur as to what happened between 11 and now. But somehow, and I genuinely don't um, try to, to give any credit to myself for this, but they've both turned out pretty rounded teenagers that, you know, they're, they're in a good place. Kai comes to my men's circle on a weekly basis, is really open and vulnerable in, in his interactions, has a girlfriend, and, you know, we have open dialogues about, you know, his relationship with her, any kind of sexuality, exploration and, and stuff, and in the way that he treats her. And I don't even know how that's happened, but somehow they they kind of they do find their way and i i think the one thing that i have definitely noticed and is the only thing that i would lay claim to have really done right with them is that i completely own every one of my emotions now i own like shortcomings in the way that i brought them up and i try and be what i talk rather than you know it doesn't matter what we say it's how you know I can talk to Kai about um, being a perfect partner and you know honouring the woman or the girl whom he's with. But then, if he sees me with my partner and I'm not 
doing that. He's going to go really with what I'm demonstrating rather than what yeah. I'm saying. So it really is being that change. And your actions really have to match your words, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so that's the one thing that I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm so much more authentic now in my interactions with my children and it seems to have paid off. Mm. And with Luna, the three year old, I'm kind of raising her differently and time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I just think, trying to be far more mindful with her. Yeah. I think for me, like all of my kids, my, my elder four, like Casper is going to be 20 in May. Wow. So, um, I won't, I, I won't have any teenagers at that point. Um, so, and like I said, Dexter is my youngest and he'll be 12 in October. Uh, the way that Dexter's been raised is dramatically different to the others. And mm. both Sarah and, and myself would say that um, we, we do carry a certain amount of guilt and regret with the way we, we brought the others up. And that's not to say they're terrible kids because they're not. They're absolutely amazing and they're beautiful and I consider myself incredibly lucky every day that they're my children, but I, I'm brutally aware of my shortcomings as a parent, um, particularly with my, my, my eldest daughter. I mean, I was 19 when she was born and had really no clue how to be a parent at all. Um, the one thing I can say for, for certain was I, I, I love them all so much. And I always made sure that they knew I loved them, mm. you know. Um, and I continue to do that now. I like phone calls never end without me telling I, telling them I love them, you know. But mm. when I I lost my dad a few years ago, and um, w when I started down this journey of understanding and and compassion and, and awakening towards you know a better, healthier lifestyle, I really did look at the relationship that I had with my father. And realized that some of, he openly said to me, he didn't feel he was a good father. And when I look back on it now, I actually realized he was pretty great because he was one thing that I, I had struggled with a little bit myself, which I no longer, I try not to now, is he was always consistent. Hmm. You know, he was always, um, uh, you know, he, he would call every week. He, my dad lived in New Zealand when I was living over here. He would phone me every Sunday without fail. Um, and he never, like, you know, he was to check in with me, make sure I was okay, to see how the children were getting on. It was never about anything that he had going on. It was always about what we had going on. He wanted to know what was happening with us. Um, and when I look back at it now, it was really quite important to me. And I realize now that that consistency um, – was, was something I could always count on with him. Mm. And, and there was no conditional with him either. He was just, I always felt like he was just grateful that he was a part of our lives. Mm. You know? And so that's kind of how I view my children as adults. I mean, you know, my son got married last year and I was just super stoked that I got to see it happen. You know, I was so grateful that, that I was a, I think, privileged enough for it to be there. And I consider that with all my kids, I'm just so grateful and privileged that I get to be a part of their lives. So, That's beautiful, bro. Yeah. And I don't take that for granted ever. I think the thing is that um, 
we can only ever be the level of consciousness that we're at. And in the yeah. same way, there's no point in feeling animosity to our parents if we feel no, that no, they've no. been unskillful. And that <clears throat> if we look to break generational trauma, the very fact we're talking in these ways and the very fact that we are looking to, to be the best version of ourselves as parents offers up our children the greatest opportunity to maybe make less mistakes than we have or probably different mistakes though you know we all make mistakes but it's inevitable to, isn't it yeah to kind of learn from our mistakes as we are doing so and 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 as i said before i think for for jim um for you and for me that the fact that we're working on ourselves really gives us the best opportunity to yeah. be the best version for the people in our lives yeah that's well, super that's important yeah i i i gotta be honest i always say i do this for me I want to be the best possible version of myself, but all those people that are around me that I love, they get all the benefits of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Jim, do you find, um, and I, I don't mean this in a, a build my own ego up, but do you take elements from the, the men's circle, from the Dharma, et cetera, and integrate it into your life with the kids? So I have been thinking about this a lot the past few weeks, just seeing the the person that my eldest is growing into. And um, like today's like the first day of Lent and like kind of kickstarting the day with like 20 minutes, like meditation and just kind of grounding. <laughs> and um, I'd love to kind of share that with her. I think it would be really really good um for on a daily basis not the whole maybe 20 minutes but just the kind of principles and like five minutes here and there and just kind of teach her what that's all about uh taking time for herself um because yeah i mean like all the kids are they're like multifaceted and then like no one thing you know you could say like this kid's a sensitive kid it's like yes they are but that's not all they are but you know if you kind of want to generalize you say like yeah it's a sensitive kid so um i think just for that sort of practice to help her through she's like a deep empath as well which is kind of like really um i i don't know like what, what's the phrase for not um enhance her day i guess that's the best way to yeah. to mm. describe it so i haven't actually put anything into practice apart from like the sharing circle like saying about that earlier um yeah so it feels like kind of like on the right path with all that sort of stuff and yeah with you two guys as well just being like super vulnerable and open and just like being there for your kids it's beautiful to hear about your dad as well john and you know, Thank all you. this kind of stuff. Um, bringing it back to the story at hand with, like, Drake Hardman and his yeah. dad. What I find really hard is knowing that story, seeing the dad that he was, and yet this still happened. And if you mm. go through, like, YouTube, you go through Wikipedia, there are different lists of tragedies that have happened around about this age between the ages yeah. of 10 and 14 and um you know their interviews of the parents and you're just like how could this happen look at these parents you know mm. um 
you just kind of want to judge jump to judgmental mode where you might see like a parent is just like well of course this is going to happen you know just trying to make sense of it but there is no sense when you see these parents who are like doing the right thing and showing up and speaking affirmations over them like and, yeah. and yet it still happens i have no point on all of this it's just um yeah it just makes me feel um worried frustrated sad um powerless and i just don't i don't i don't get it basically <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, yeah. That, that makes like immense amounts of sense to me, actually, to be honest, what you said there. It's like Drake's dad looks to be, to me, a remarkable human being. And the pain he must be feeling is, is just phenomenal. I, like, are you, we, like, I don't even want to imagine it, to be quite frank. Um, but I think maybe the, the, the thing that I take away from this is that we kind of need to have the conversations with our children and about little little people like Drake, you know, because it, it. I don't know about you guys, but when I was little or younger, I I was bullied at school for a bit until I got to a point where I realised I could use my fists as the the way of getting out of it. You know, like the deterrent. Yeah, basically, that's a good point. Yeah, deterrent. But you know, obviously, it didn't really solve any problems. It just meant that I could hit somebody really hard and they fell over. Um. But I, I kind of think about it now. If I have these conversations with my kids to say, look, this is this little boy and, and he was 11 and he took his own life because he was bullied. But the, there is an element with children where they don't, know, they, they don't want to tell their parents things. And I don't know where this comes from, truthfully. When I was bullied, I didn't tell my parents I was bullied. You know, And for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't tell them. You know, perhaps it's because you, I didn't want to be seen as being weak in front of them. Perhaps it's because I, I thought they, they, they didn't understand. Perhaps it was because they chose to send me to that school. You know, they'd be cross with me or something if I wasn't enjoying it. Or I don't know, you know. There's all these thought processes that run through my head with it. Um, and I think about it all the time, like really frequently, in fact. Like why did I never voice my unhappiness? And like I said, my, my parents were, were not terrible parents at all. Uh, like, like everybody else of my generation, we weren't really taught how to feel our emotions. That was genuinely 100% just like yourself, Simon. We, you know, mm. I'm hungry. No, you're not hungry. Go to bed, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, that was a big thing in my, my home. But, but truthfully, if I'd have gone to my mum or my dad and said, hey, this, this is happening at school, they'd have been pretty upset and they would have tried to do something about it. And I know that for a fact, you know, but like I questioned myself, why didn't I not go and say something, you know, why did I just put up with it? Is it because we view ourselves as like when these things happen, even at that young age, it's like, we're not, we're not deserving of anything better than that. You know, where does it come from? And I think we could be the most amazing parent on earth and this element might still come up. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know if there's an answer to it I, I, I don't think there are to be yeah. honest it's you know depending upon your belief system or if you don't have a belief system people could talk you know for instance there is a belief system that we choose the life that we're going to live and yeah. that if there's karma to be paid that 
um, that's what that life lesson is. And yeah. that's obviously if something happens to your child, no consolation at all. The Buddhist teaching is also of impermanence. Everything does move on. And, and also the Buddhist teaching is continuation. So everything changes. So there is no life or death. It just is a continuation. Technot Han taught that. But again, that's no consolation if it's your child yeah. that's died. Yeah. And sometimes I think just stuff happens that within our level of consciousness, we can't explain. Hmm. You know, we cannot explain why, why something's happened. And, and we try to, we can say, oh, it's karma or I have terrible luck or, or whatever, but we just don't know. Yeah. Like we can never fathom, you know, quite often within spiritual terms, we want to, oh, well, what's the lesson here? And, and we can label a lesson or, you know, I learned from this, whatever, but maybe sometimes there isn't, it, it just is. Yeah. And that's you, not easy to take, but maybe it is. You, you know, one of the things I love about you, Jim, is um, when we did the retreat last year, we, we do an inner child retreat and we do a meditation and in the meditation are positive affirmations. And um, like they're like, I'm so glad you were born. You know, um, I was so excited to meet you. Things like that. And I remember you saying, Jim, uh, that you went home and you used some of those affirmations with your girls when you were putting them to bed. I do, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. I, I did that tonight as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but My four-year-old. So, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly powerful thing yeah like to step out and say that and then it gets yeah. more powerful just like just the more you kind of repeat it the mm. more you repeat it it's just because yeah. you mean it and you really mean it every time yeah you know it's not just kind of like a, an affectation or just like flowery words it's uh, um yeah it's really deep man i was really yeah. grateful to have those words to take back it's very cool yeah. i just think that's what came to my mind when we're talking about how can we make a difference and it's it's at that point there where you're doing it like your mm. four-year-old daughter is constantly going to hear her dad saying to her every night when he puts her to bed i'm so glad you were born i'm so glad you're here um and in my mind i'm thinking if we tell our children that every single day you know, if we tell them we love them and we're so glad they're here and we're so glad they're part of our lives, perhaps that little element would be enough to remind them that when they're in that darkest point, there are people that really can't live without them. You know, and maybe that would be enough. Mm. You know, yeah, man. it like ties into, um, I just started reading in this book by um, Gordon Newfeld and Gabor Mate, who's amazing. Yeah. He's quite a few years old now, like holding, uh, was it notes on holding on to your kids? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. On the whole, really, really good. There's like, yeah, this, sorry, this isn't a book review, but just like saying (laughs) about some sort of revelatory stuff because it's talking about the way that things are going in terms of like, kids being separated from their parents and family units and stuff, but it's all about attachment. Like we find things to, uh, you know, attach ourselves to. And for thousands of years, it was the family unit or your tribe or whatever, you know, your kind of extended family, your people. Yeah. And now it's uh, friends and schoolmates. So 
it's very very complex there's lots to chat about it probably take like a podcast series <laughs> i think to talk about it really yeah uh, but it's coming yeah. i think down to the crux of like unconditional love having the you know never ending uh, anchor basically of unconditional love at the home with the family whereas you yeah. won't get that from friendship groups or very rarely you know so it's uh, kind of realigning that sort of stuff um yeah there's there's tons I mean, of stuff i could chat about i don't want to tie myself up in knots <laughs> but anyway yeah, yeah it's a good one I, I, to be honest, Gabor Mate is one of those unique people that will give you an insight like nobody else. Because he was a Holocaust survivor as well, wasn't he? So he is. Yeah, um, his mum, I think, was in Auschwitz, wasn't she? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So I think he is. He he he's a man who completely understands the concept of trauma. Um, but yeah, he's something special for sure. The beauty of him as well is that in everything that he talks about, you know, addiction and stuff, he has such compassion and he oh, quite gosh, clearly yeah. says there's no blame ever attached to someone with an addiction yeah. and that it's really, you know, physiologically just something that they find incredibly hard to control. It's yeah. not like a, just a choice. I just want to jack up. It's yeah. something trauma related that is Absolutely, bringing yeah. them into that state. It was a trauma and that, response, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, because there yeah. is such a. I still feel like that with um with mental health and with addictions and all that. There's yeah. such a stigma attached to it, like it's an element of weakness or an element of you just making it up. I, in mm. fact, I heard someone say recently, or saying you've got anxiety is trendy. It's like, but it's real. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, I, I think I think like that's like Jim said. That's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> but yeah. I got to say, this this is a heavy subject matter for us to discuss, um, and it's not that we haven't dealt with heavy things on the podcast in the past, because generally we do. Um, but I think the the difficult thing with this one, like the the podcast that we did with Kim a few weeks ago, is that um, there's no answer to it. You know, we're not we're not going to stumble across a solution. You know, which in 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 my um my mind is really difficult to 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 allow because i want to try and fix everything that i come across mm. you know so i'm i'm gonna just it has been heavy so yeah. jim if you don't mind you know this story but i'm going to indulge it just for the listeners because i think that this is the one thing that is the kind of the bedrock of what or, or the foundation for it and, and I think it's just love. And um, so last summer, we were on the beach with Jim um, and his wife and kids. And Jim, by the way, you are like the, the fire starter. You're the best <laughs> uh, fire maker of anyone I know. So yeah, kudos there. But anyway, um, and she said, your wife said to us, I'm so pleased that Jim joined your circle because I know how wonderful he is and I just wanted him to, to share him with you guys. Oh, and I thought, and uh, one of my friends turned to me and he was like, shit, like my ex would have never described me like that. And I, I could think of instances where I've been in relationships where they wouldn't. <laughs> and the love is where it starts, you know, it's yeah. where it starts and where it ends. So if we, you know, if we have loving relationships, 
it doesn't even have to be sexual relationships, but if we have those loving relationships, we create children with love, and then that's that's all we can be, really. Mm. So, and it's just that stuck with me that you know it's so easy to point score and to you know those little kind of where we put our partners down in a a kind of passive aggressive, funny, let we'll get a laugh way, but just to hear um, someone describing their partner as wonderful and wanting to share them. It was just yeah. beautiful, and I'll take that with me to my grave. I think. Yeah, oh, man. beautiful. Yeah, I'm blushing. <laughs> well, it's you, bro. We're yeah. we're thankful to have you on the podcast. We're thankful to have you in our lives, and it's yeah. and it's it, testimony to what you know to what you are that she yeah. feels that way. I appreciate. I do. That, I, yeah, I got to say, it's it's an it's a privilege to know you, Jim, because you're such a lovely human being. Um, yeah, gives me the warm and fuzzy. Yeah, man. Likewise, absolutely. Not to like bring it down, but I like, would like to. Um, I've been thinking about this, just pondering this subject now, and I was going to chat to you guys and just like yeah. what to communicate to my kids about this. And I think it's like we have the potential, like all of us, uh, to be kind of threefold. We can be the victim, we can be the aggressor, we can be the onlooker. And I've definitely have been all, like all three. So, um, yeah, I think just making kids aware of that, they have the potential, um, you know, and it could happen. And it's just, you know, the whole sort of seven habits thing of um, an action and a response that pause before the kind of response of just how we react to things and actually choose, do we want to choose to be the aggressor? Do we want to choose to be the victim uh, or the onlooker? You know, um, yeah. it's going to be an interesting ongoing conversation, I think, and quite a vulnerable one where I chat to them about my uh, experiences, I guess, you know? Yeah. And um, in there's regrets and in there's uh, stories of all sorts, you know? So, yeah. Um, it's an ongoing journey, man. But uh, yeah, for all of us, brother, for yeah, all of us, feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know what? I feel like that's a really good point to wrap up on as well. Um, yeah. I really, I really appreciate you joining us, Jim. It's been an absolute joy. Um, I'm hoping to get to see you soon as well because it's been a too long. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Springs around the corner, bro. Bring your bike down to Lyme. <laughs> I'm keen, That's... man. I'm really keen. That's it. Yeah. Right. Well, let's end with our prayer, as yeah. always. All right. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outwards in all directions, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. As always, thank you, guys. And uh, I'll sign off with Kia Kaha. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, brother. All right.